Hi, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. Hello. Hello. I, I just <laughs> I just noticed something. Um, to save bandwidth, we don't use video when we record. We just use audio. Yeah. But uh, we always call each other with video, say hi, and then start the audio. Blah 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 blah. But I noticed you have the same glasses as George Costanza. I don't think that's true. <laughs> no? Maybe. So you're I started what? watching. Yeah, but that just means like George is a cool guy. Apparently. I just watched Seinfeld before watching this, uh, before talking to you. Literally like, because it's yeah, on right? Netflix. I watched an episode just to see what it was like. Yeah. Or Which two. episode did you watch? <laughs> uh, I started, actually, I, I started a few weeks ago. Well, when it first came out, I watched some of the first season. I was like, mm, I want to see what happened. I, I, I want to see the not, the late season stuff. So I started watching the last season. Okay. Um, so I just watched like the season, episode three, the Serenity Now episode of um, season nine. Which one is that? Uh, Kramer installs like a screen door on his uh, apartment and... Seinfeld learns to be angry and then has other emotions. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And George's dad is selling computers. Uh, out of Did his... you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah. It was funny. I mean, there's stuff, though, like I, I think I said previously that the the jokes are out of date or, you know, definitely aren't really up to date with social issues. Like in that particular episode, but, like, yeah, this, that's like, the big question is like, if you're up to date, can you be funny? Is it the big question? I think it's a question. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of comedians or stuff I watch and, and like they all talk about it like, yeah, times have changed, huh? So mm. we can't really do what we did in the 80s. Yeah, I know. And then they all kind of like, hmm. And I just watched Chappelle had a new special and it was about cancel yeah, culture. And, and Well, it wasn't about that. I think it was about for him. It was a it, it was a specific issue and community. Yeah. He wanted to. He wanted yeah. to address basically but to that me, he was transphobic. To me, the, the, the fact that he had to talk about that made the whole show very serious. So mm. what I mean is if you really want to be sincere and not push anyone's buttons and make sure no one's offended, I don't know if there's a lot of room for fun. But I think Chappelle has always been political, right? Like, No, but, but he was more absurdist. Mm. Like, just, like, I don't know. Like, Remember the reason he ended the Chappelle show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to me... Uh, there's just a, a simple measure of comedy and it's like it's laughter and I just didn't laugh that much mm. and um, I'm not saying maybe his old stuff was problematic and that he had issues with it and I, I understand but there's tons of comedians mm. who are not offensive but still funny like uh, yeah. Jim Gaffigan or Mitch Hedberg or, I, I, yeah to me I'm just saying that this this uh Overton window shrinking or whatever it's yeah. I don't know it's it's difficult for for but Chappelle was really clear like, in the special like you this is this Chappelle, this episode's for like black people basically you know and if anyone else doesn't find it funny I don't care yeah you know he ends on, he ends no but he 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 got the, I think he embraced this persona of being like a wise person who will summarize the times for us and make it understandable and that's much funny much more important than being funny he. Mm. He's more interested. He's almost like a political commentator, like a, a pundit. Yeah. 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 But I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because in the episode of Seinfeld, I watched Seinfeld uh, like jokes about himself at one point. He says something to the effect of like, you know, uh, I yes, I make, you know, 
observations that anyone else could make that are only mildly funny, you know, and the whole audience, you know, audience laughs, obviously, because yeah. eventually Seinfeld became a cliche of that type of that. Humor, yeah, right? yeah. Of these but I, observational I, I, I think the reason lines. I love Seinfeld is the, the discipline that like, it's, it's not the best idea. He's not the best comedian. He's not, but he's so dedicated to pure funny and not being responsible. <laughs> um, you know, like, I'm, I'm trying to find an analogy, but like, well, if, even if in you, Seinfeld, you remember there was some politics um, that he tried to acknowledge regarding his Jewish faith. Remember the anti-dentite <laughs> on the yeah, 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 yeah. No, but it, it, to me, and and that this goes to this week's topic of uh, abstraction, which mm. we'll talk about the whole episode. There's something about the purity of going in one direction and letting go of practicalities. Yeah. And it's it's very... First of all, I think the reason politics became such a big topic in culture, in any form of culture, is not a coincidence. And for me, it has 100% everything to do with, with social media and gamifying people and pitting them against each other. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with problems actually being bigger is the perception of problems being oh bigger. yeah That's, for sure the yeah problems so we, were we, larger we, probably in the past yeah so we've talked about that at length that like how social media uh, uh, pits people against each other and uh, uh you know that uh, i'm trying to find the word but yeah, it, yeah, it's no, like uh, what, what's the word to, to create engagement and, and fury and all that stuff yeah um, so if you take that and then you go to visual art or theater or filmmaking mm-hmm. or novels or music and then everybody you know yeah, yeah we're all we're all being we're all in a hamster wheel like uh, hating the other side and being angry and I can't believe this and this and this and this and so that there's kind of an audacity to then say hey whatever my discipline whether whether it's uh, flower arrangement or baking or whatever and I'm like the thing I'm doing has to stand on its own and not serve a purpose outside of itself. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing football or if you're doing chess or if you're doing karate or if you're doing science or whatever, yeah. to me, it's interesting if you go all the way. And that's what I mean. And that's this what I buy about Seinfeld. Maybe, maybe plays a role too, right? Yeah. You're saying yeah, like exactly. You get to some kind of universal truth. Yeah. And, and it's, but it's, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be abstraction. It can also be someone uh but i i'm i'm interested in um letting go so basically what you, there, there's of course there's room for everything yeah, let's figure but i out. have a but i have a preference and it, it, to me when you make art and you say like well it's it's a painting but actually it serves a purpose because it helps children learn or it helps mm-hmm. uh, homeless people like it's a painting but it, you can also unfold it and it becomes a tent and someone mm-hmm. can uh, find <laughs> shelter whatever to me, it, it's I, I like the purity of going in one direction. That's that's what I mean with Seinfeld of the, mm-hmm. his observational humor. Like, I think he knows he's not the best comedian or whatever, but he's just like, I'm just gonna every day I'm gonna write every day, every day, every day, and just practice, practice, practice. And yeah, I don't know if he he actually does it or if he pretends to do it, but to me, I, I like that sort of obsessive obsessiveness. That's the word. Yeah, I mean, I was I was listening to an interview this weekend with uh, Walter Isaacson, who wrote like the Steve Jobs um, 
bio, but also wrote about CRISPR recently. Focus, yeah, yeah. But then he was talking about Leonardo da Vinci and how Leonardo da Vinci like didn't have the discipline to finish very many artworks. I didn't realize he had only completed like 23 <laughs> paintings mm-hmm. in his life. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, the amount Maybe of Maybe he influence, was better at marketing than at painting. He just well, created a legend for himself. I think like his sketches and writing... And, you know, I think what, what Isaac Swinton was saying was what made him special was that he was ex- especially curious. And the fact that he didn't finish things was a factor of his, I guess, perfectionism. Um, so you could you could argue potentially that he was less abstract, but he was seeking some kind of like perfect, you know, form. Um and his curiosity didn't allow, it was so, he was so obsessive in his curiosity that it didn't allow him to finish. Yeah. yeah. Which is a, is a characteristic of like the top performers in business too. Like um, people who choose one thing and obsess over it. So do fewer things and obsess tend to, tend to excel. And I, I say fewer things because like, I think you think of abstraction, it, it, there is a certain reductionism. It doesn't have to be reductionist though. And that's probably something we'll have to talk about, but like, it's not minimalism by definition, and minimalism, no, it can minimalism be chaotic, is obviously mathematical. Abstraction yeah. can be chaotic and overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. So maybe we should introduce the, the question. Uh, it's from Alessandro Ferraro. Yep. Ferraro. And uh, he was doing a PhD on abstraction in new media, and he sent me a couple of questions. I think he sent a bunch of artists a couple of questions. And he didn't write the question for the podcast, but he said, hey, it would be cool if you guys talk about abstraction in episodes. Mm. Um, Where is he doing his PhD? Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, I'd have to pull up the email, but... Uh, well, I guess sure. it doesn't really matter. That's me, like, making it... <laughs> Let's judge him for where he's doing his PhD. Uh, but I am interested where that... Uh, where that University talks. of Genoa. Oh, okay, interesting. Okay. So yeah. he's doing it in Italy. Yeah. So maybe the... Um, History of Contemporary Arts. The Da Vinci reference is uh, not lost then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But so uh, here we are, an episode about abstraction without any visuals. <laughs> That's right. Let's talk about abstraction. Well, of course, there's abstraction in, in sound and music as well, right? Yeah. yeah in yeah, fact, yeah. like, that's where I place the history of abstraction to start, which is, you know, the artists that... Um, John Cage? No, prior to John Cage, you know... The early abstract expressionists, and this was a global movement, included Germans and Russians and people like Kandinsky that were trying to do what musicians had done in terms of, um, if you think of the great classical works um, like Beethoven or Chopin or Vivaldi, they had managed to you know, write music um, that made you feel something without referring to it, in, you know, a, 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 like a literal uh, yeah. thing you know so without music, going like this is a tree. I lost my girlfriend I'm yeah. sad yeah exactly yeah. yeah it wasn't a song about a, a story like if you think about folk music or a fable or anything it wasn't a, a bard's tale and so artists wanted to try and do the same thing with me you know with with, with visual language both film and painting yeah and so they and, and they, one they, of they the had things that, that they invented the, the the one of the things that's interesting that people pinned down the invention of abstraction somewhere early 20th century. Mm-hmm. But in the decorative arts, there's been all kinds of abstraction as long as humans have lived. Right. Um, it's just that then they kind of, you would always say, appropriated the the yeah. the craft of, of decoration and said, 
this is no longer decoration. This is actually a meditative practice and a, a dissection of composition and, a, and an exploration of the material and all these things. Yeah. But it had been going on for millennia. So no, that's a great but, point. But, but traditionally, I think the artist who could paint realistically and depict something was, was uh, valued higher than someone who would uh, repeat squiggles on a, on, a, on a piece of furniture. Right. Yeah, it's so, not like uh, Kandinsky invented the circle. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's like um, yeah, yeah, that goes. But it, it, yeah, way it, back to go very far back. I, I watched this BBC documentary on cave paintings. Uh, I, I can't remember the name, but uh, it was four episodes all about cave paintings, and there's weird things that happen. Like there's transitions in cave paintings that they go to different layers of realism, mm. like different skill sets, and that. Those things happened at the same time in the south of France and in Australia. That, and that, so there's, I am really interested in this idea of the, the zeitgeist, this spirit of the time, that it's maybe mm. something, some vibrations in the air, that somehow people around the world at the same time, their uh, skills in, in, in uh, depiction evolved at the same moment. That's kind of wild. Yeah. But the, the other thing I saw was that there were abstract paintings in the cave paintings that would be a rectangle divided into nine squares, each a different color. Mm-hmm. It was just the perfect Mondrian, but 35,000 years ago. That's interesting. And and other other cave paintings would be just the whole cave filled with dots, like a Kusama installation. And the, the article I read was that then for art historians, they had to then classify, is this an intentional project or is this something pre-human, someone without consciousness who just wildly spread pigment around a cave without really knowing what they were doing. Well, I think actually so, that's, a, that's a really interesting re- in relationship to my reference. Yeah, but, but, be, but it's, it's, it's yeah. the same thing when people say, oh, Jackson Pollock, that's just unintentional. It's like a caveman just you know, mm-hmm. dripping canvas. It's the same discussion, but 35,000 years earlier. No, yeah. I remember I had a performance that I did that was like, I, I used to, I had this character that was a, not a famous new media artist. It was a French famous artist. And they had invented like the, they had done dot paintings forever. Kind of like a Damien Hirst kind of joke in a way, even though Damien Hirst wasn't French, but I wore like a beret and smoked a cigarette and had a little mustache. And so, and I had done dot paintings, but then I invented this like AI software. This is way back before AI existed. So it was kind of weird. Um, but anyway, these dots had eventually become more sentient than me as an, as an artist and as a French artist, I was extremely resentful that the dots were now like, you know, able to make artwork without autonomous. Me. Yeah, they were autonomous. Atana but what dots. was funny is when I would install this work, I'd put the, the dots up on the wall and I swear to God, it was like the, the, the most intuitive process, but also arduous because, you know, I was a conceptual artist and I still am. And I'd be like, God damn it, like this, this dot doesn't seem like it's quite right. It has to go like two yeah. millimeters to the left. And this one needs to be next to that one. And there's but just that's exactly, there. that's exactly, I find that our, our generation is filled with guilt. Like everyone I know, is, the, the guilt is cranked up way too high. Mm-hmm. And I know that artists feel guilt for having, for playing with form just for the sake of it. So yeah. there's a guilt, it's like, oh, but what am I trying to say? How is this helping humanity? Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And so, the, it, you know, you would never say that to a child. Hey, stop playing around with form. That's dumb. 
And but yeah. when you when you're grown up, all of a sudden you have to behave and be more academic and blah blah blah. And what I find interesting is that we have no problem in music. Uh, you know, no one asks Aphex Twin, "Hey, why is that note there and why is that note there yeah. and blah blah blah." It's like, oh, it feels good. You dance to it. You listen to it. It feels good. That's that's enough. That's enough of a reason for that to exist. Well, it's funny you say that and, because you're right that the education system does favor abstraction yeah. early on for children, right? Yeah, but but to finish my thought, like uh, I was walking around with a friend from Berlin uh, who will re remain re nameless, but like a post-internet artist, and <laughs> we were talking about how we were trained that any formal decision we tie to the idea. In, 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 and I say that in a sort of... Uh, yeah. That's but so we're, we're taught like he would make a visual system and like yellow stands for this, red stands for this, so that there's never a weird, ambiguous decision. There's always a logic, like a, a mental map of, of why things are the way they are. And he also enjoyed a lot of music that is quite abstract in nature. Or you might enjoy the beats that come with, with hip hop, that even separately from the from the lyrics that are quite abstract, too. And so somehow that's okay in music and not in art and and we're taught in art to always say you know that thing when when artists give a tour of their exhibition and then they explain every detail well this is yellow because i went to tibet and then i saw this dress of a certain person mm -hmm. and then yeah it's pretty, yeah that's like illustrative yeah yeah but i almost think that that's where like i would that you get back into the craft versus art argument like if uh if an artist does that they the common Barb to throw back at them would be like, well, you're being, you know, overly prescriptive or you're an illustrator, you know, you're trying to tell a story with, you know, back to that music reference that I made. Um, you're trying to tell a story where there should be none. And, you know, in, in essence, if you were a conceptual or idea based artist, you would recognize that the history of abstraction was one of trying to distance uh, the visual his, visual history from narrative, right? In the traditional yeah. sense or from the figurative I, I, narrative. Yeah. I struggle with it myself too. Like, yeah. Uh, but but it, it's just, I, I don't know what it is, but it feels like um, in, in, in software when people code, I feel like this, the abstraction is not such a taboo. Mm. But as, as far as That's our great. friends, yeah. uh, because I think when you're coding, you're like, well, this is new because, you know, I'm, I'm letting the machine make decisions. There's a random aspect or an AI aspect. And uh, maybe there's a data visualization aspect. And that sort of justifies things. Um, well, this is a real struggle yeah. amongst designers um, and, and engineers. Going back to a lot of the systems thinking that, you know, emerged actually of that time we just described in terms of abstraction, right? So... In urban planning, abstraction kind of hits the scene in the 1960s, probably prior. So, like, if there are listeners that are annoyed with what I'm about to say, uh, you know, have at it. But, like... No, I think that's fair. Like, it took a long time to... Like, they came up with the ideas in the 20s, but it took a long time before they could make buildings in that Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, some science fiction writers might talk about, like, a honeycomb city or whatever. But anyway... In the 1960s, a book was published that had a really novel and democratizing concept, which was, uh, it's called A Pattern Language. It's by uh, Christopher Alexander and a few others whose names escape me right now. But essentially, it says, hey, you know, with a few simple rules, you know, similar to like how Soloit might have some rules, <clears throat> you can establish 
a set of patterns um, that allow you to design anyone to design a great home. And not only can they design a great home with these principles, they can design great neighborhoods with these principles. They can design great cities and communities can be like, it was actually the opposite of this kind of top down modernism. It was this idea that like, if everyone were to focus on these principles that they could build like these utopias together, which I guess is kind of modernist too, but it was it's democratizing. Like Lego, Lego for grownups. Basically. Yeah. So, and, the, and it has stuff like, you know, you, knowing that the sun, you know, rises in the East, we can make the assumption that the yard should be in the East or whatever, like, so that the yeah. flowers grow, blah, blah, blah. And then that cascades to how the roof line works and where the door is and all of this stuff. It's quite a beautiful book. The reason I bring it up though, is that that book led to the invention of, um, in engineering, object-oriented uh, programming and patterns in code, like code mm. patterns are a real thing. Yeah. You could so obviously sort of go back thinking, to... Thinking of, of uh, uh, blocks. Yeah, and, of, I mean, obviously, modules. you know, you have to also, you know, give Ada Lovelace a huge amount of credit for taking we woven tapestries and figuring out, oh, like, if you can weave symbols, you can weave, you know, instructions, you know, with punch cards and... So the, you know it, that those ideas existed in code, but this idea of patterns, which you hear about code patterns, and then design patterns, and design systems, which also intersect with the history of Swiss typographic systems that emerged around the same time. But to your point about the cave drawings, like all this has happening in the 1960s, um, such that like design and engineering actually both develop the systems that you see in modern software today that we refer to as like uh, a pa you know patterns uh, or what? components. To me, that, that was oriented. always not so much a path of abstraction, but a path of accepting technology. Yeah. So uh, what happened is every tool has a preference and will look a certain way because the tool just lends itself. So when you're carving letters out of stone and the, the chisel is, is wide, it's not round, yep. then you get letters that have a certain angle and it's just the way it la lays in the hand. And the same way certain furniture was very decorative because actually making a really straight table leg is really hard. So maybe it's easier to make a table leg that looks like a bear claw and et cetera. Mm, yeah. So each, each material has its own wishes and its own uh, strengths. That's a real Bauhaus type thing to say, though. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then I think uh, oil on canvas was always a tool for visual thinking. And so they used that to narrow things down like what is that what is the composition really about is it about this tree or is the tree just a line and can we get rid of this three-dimensional representation mm. and accept that you're looking at a two-dimensional plane and is it really two-dimensional and then once you start applying that logic of accepting materials for what they are and then you're like well this chair is going to be made in a factory it's going to be mm -hmm. mass produced so why would we make it try to make it feel like it's made by hand why don't we except that it comes out of a machine and out of a process and make the best of that. Yeah. And, and that's what you're talking that really about. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that we would play that. So like, as it's the easy way, I guess. Yeah. But you know, like let's take the example of the circle. Let's say it's a yellow circle, you know, potentially it doesn't or does not symbolize the sun. That circle as a wood block print is worth more than if as a C print potentially. In, in our in our perception of value and in art historical value seemingly as well like at some point in history drawing the circle becomes too easy such that people are like similar to when photography is invented 
you know, juxtaposed against, you know, well, painting. There's, it's not, you're looking at it through the lens of economy, but there's also, yeah. when things are too perfect, it's kind of uneasy for but the this eye. This is what I'm getting it's at. It's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah. So perfection is a factor of abstraction and coming back to my Leonardo da Vinci thing, like, I guess abstraction has really nothing to do with like, um, geometry. We're just kind of going there. Like, I'm just trying to, you know, why are we drawn to that? Because we, we we talked about Pollock or other people that, you know, are, sought imperfection. But what was this, maybe the pursuit of perfection in, in terms of geometry and symmetry came from musical notation, which was the reduction of, you know, sound into specific symbolic notation, right? Um, you know, I'm always uh, uh, struck by, it, like, you know, dance notation, which and people who dance will tell you how much interpretation there is, you know, because there's notation for dance, right? But it, yeah, it, like it's not really the ideal way to record. <laughs> well, like, they, movement, they they came right? up with that idea before there was video. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. But I think yeah. you know all of these ideas are. I was just thinking in terms of what you're talking about, in terms, like in regards to tools and the people using those tools, right? There is this the human is still mediating up into a certain point. Like there are these bounds of human mediation and yeah. does abstraction belong to us or to the tool, I guess. And yeah, yeah. but I, I, I think um, you use geometric shapes in your performances in AR because um, th there's many reasons, but one of the reasons is that it's easy. Like it would take a long time to have photorealistic dinosaurs on your shoulder. And instead you have some, primitive shapes in yeah. primary colors because then you can just quickly modify the tool and the point you're trying to make is there's a digital world around me and let's accept it let's not try to make it photographic but yeah. let's accept it for what it is and and for me the path also has been i started out like oh i want to make a website with dollars i want to make a website with blood i want to make a website with doors mm -hmm. and at some point i'm like that what i'm interested now like each step further is it's not the subject, but the movement or the interaction, and then the subject gets in the way. So if you if you're saying I'm I'm interested in things moving down quickly, yeah, what should what should fall down quickly? Should it be leaves? Should it be cherry blossoms? Should it be raindrops? It's like no, I I just really want to focus on the the feeling of downward movement without a subject. And so that to me was just it was it was not an intentional decision at all so that that's interesting mm -hmm. to me like as your work develops you just you have sort of an idea and then you start working and it's not working and you're like oh this works better you take little steps and then before you know it you end up somewhere else and you're like yeah oh i didn't know i was headed in the abstract direction but it happened well i mean like my example from earlier i think in my own practice i've often invented spaces in which i could perform abstraction because it's it's there's pure joy associated with it ultimately that's that's a good point um, yeah and that's what i'm talking about the guilt that th there is this ethos in in art school that just having fun is shallow so you should either do good or you should provide a historical context or you should have some scientific uh, angle and it should be research-based because just having fun is superficial well it'd be a pretty boring critique you know, like, I mean, it's like it would be four years of like 
so what's new? Like, what do you explore? And the, and the person's like, I don't know. I'm feeling it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. So I think it doesn't really make sense within. Yeah, the, but imagine, imagine. I mean, that's that's the academic route of institutions and critique and teaching each other. And the other route is like a dance battle in mm. the Bronx in the late seventies or whatever. And they're not critiquing like, what are you trying to say? They're just like trying to impress each other, and it's all intuition. Yeah. Well, I think people can go back and forth. I'm I, like, for some reason, the the thought of Carolee Schneeman comes to mind, uh, the late performance artist, who in the 1960s did films. I would think one of her most famous ones that our listeners might recognize was Meet Joy. Like, I think I've mentioned on the podcast a few times, but her writhing on the ground with other people in like an orgy with meat and fish all over their bodies and stuff like that, and and seemingly like, actually, I'm talking off the top of my head, not having you know, text about the work in front of me. But when I saw the work for the first time, I was like, this is like pure 1960s um, happening joy, like to the cage point that you made earlier, right? Well, yeah, I I think the way that comes to mind to me is they were looking at the boundaries of freedom. Like, Mm -hmm. what can we do that is not accepted and that somehow is very visceral and has a strong reaction? And we don't want to explain it. Because really, if, if you're... I think if you come out of a rigid society, out of the 50s, and everything has a practical reason, people came from hunger, people were coming from a practical agrarian society, and things are shifting, and there's a surplus economy, and all of a sudden you're like, what is human life about when you're not mowing the lawn and making food? And and so then I think it's logical for young people to then test the limits of... Mm. So freedom is a topic, and then once freedom is the topic, it's like, well... I should do whatever is the most unaccepted. That would be the highest state of freedom. Yeah, I, th- I like what you're saying, though, too, which is like um, yeah, that there are also certain constraints that might emerge culturally that make every like give everyone permission <laughs> to act in a certain way. And, you know, ultimately breaking free of those that social control, destabilizing that kind of whatever had come before, you know, in terms of normalcy. Is a, is a, is an artistic practice, and abstraction has some role to play there, which is like, yeah. hey, let's break free of these ideological constraints that we have from the previous generation, but, and yeah, remind ourselves and, what being human is. But one of the things that's also interesting to me is that abstraction always struggles with purely existing for the sake of existing, and then mm. its its role afterwards. So, when Mondrian and Malevich and Kandinsky started, they had long texts about why this had to exist they didn't just make the work and and said like this is it deal with it yeah so they said well we're making a universal moment that will help people transcend and that will they will reach their inner being and and be more fulfilled and it will create positive so there were all these external reasons they were justifying the work Mm -hmm. that's the word justifying and then as art history moved on abstract art became really successful commercially. So when, when Malevich was painting the black square, it was, uh, you know, everybody was like, this is anti-art, this is yeah. horrible, this yeah. is the point zero. And now, like, it, it feels like monochrome painting is almost like a really safe career choice. Like, if you find your own path in monochrome painting, it's a genre. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I do monochrome paintings that glow in the dark. Oh, I do monochrome paintings that... The paint never dries. Oh, I do monochrome paintings that you turn upside down. Whatever. You find your thing. 
And it's a very solid career choice. So well, it, yeah, I'll so go then, one step further but, but, and say, like, but, you know, people are race, would race to defend you, your right to do that to a certain extent. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is that if you if you're looking for the pure uh, exploration of a of a thing without any purpose, there's always either there's an academic interest or an economic interest or a social interest or, mm. and it's it's very hard to really be free from everything. It, because it, it, mm-hmm. you could be as radical as you want, and before you know it, it's successful, and then people rely on you, and so it, it, it then it's also a, a means to an end for other people. It's not a means in itself. I mean, regardless of whether you find that freedom, successive like time will still, as we've talked about, you know, many times before, you know, twenty years from now, it might mean something different to the the person that receives it. Yeah, but I was and, also thinking like one of the concerns I have recently is that like you know if I opened up Illustrator today there's like there are tools for like color harmonies built into the software right and there are all these visual tools for that seem to be plugged in to science like in design world anyway you know designers love objectivity like you know where you're talking about the subjective and the right to be free the designers like we have no right to be free we exist as Solve problems. Yeah, By the yeah, way, I don't yeah. like this about design. So this is well, a- especially with all the data of user behavior, you can test stuff. Well, also, like you know, if I hear the words "design system" one more time, and I'm the one saying it half the time, like <laughs> I'm gonna go crazy inside of software companies. But like, it's it's reached a cliche boiling point where everyone's like, "What's the design system? What's the design system?" He's like, and it, and honestly, we invented it in software to stop having discussions. And uh, in a fit, what is deemed inefficient discussion about what is appropriate, what looks good or what looks bad. But I was looking at some software recently that I had worked on in the past and someone had updated it for accessibility standards. And if you're listening, I'm not happy with this update, <laughs> but like they, they had removed all of the uh, tone, tonal values, and it didn't really make it easier for someone with a vision impairment to use the software it just flattened the appearance. Of I think the... I think what you're getting at is is my point exactly. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> the point is out. that that you have a deep desire to put elements in in a spatial arrangement that you like. You yeah. want to have the right to say this is what I want. Yeah. But the world constantly asks you, yeah, but how do we make money? How is it good for something? How does this help this? That person? sounds very. That's that not per- scalable, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. And so, scale. someone said that uh, art is really the the fight to be an individual and to have your own decisions. And even if it's your own little micro world and you make small canvases or little videos or whatever, you're like, these are my works. Don't tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. And this is exactly what you're describing. It's like you were working in a collaborative effort with many different interests, and you're just one voice out of a thousand. And so things are going to happen you don't agree with. That That's the system. Uh, and the hard part is I really, I think, you know, you do need systems when a group of collaborators gets to be into. The yeah, 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 for sure. You know. But there's a side of you that, uh, like any child is, you don't want to, a child is three and they start drawing and then have a board meeting and say, what's the system? Mm. Why are you using red? That's, yeah. that's, that's maybe the good point, which is that like abstraction or personal expression, free abstract. Let's just say free freedom of expression or free expression, absent of like like you said, subject. 
you know. Well, I, I think subject is okay, work. but absent absent of of uh, external pressure. Yeah, there it cannot be. But I guess the the challenge here is, can it be collaborative? I mean, I guess it can yeah. because I'm always hearing from people who are in communes or collectives that they like they'll establish principles to help guide or values, like you know, because values guide behaviors. And it's not because tr true freedom doesn't real, you know, maybe, yeah. It's yeah. a spectrum. Yeah. yeah, it's a spectrum. But those values will guide us in a direction. Yeah. And that's but I think, I think design is an interesting uh, topic in this discussion because designers tend to be sensitive, visually talented people who are uncomfortable in the void of complete freedom. Mm. They're like, but what's the brief? What's the point? Why am I doing this? Why am I not, not that? So... So they tend to be someone who likes to reply to a question. So yeah. someone says, hey, here's a problem. Try to find an interesting way out of this problem. And they get more creative with these constraints. And I think a lot of artists also choose constraints outside of themselves, but they go to art history and they say, well, these artists did this and I'm going to flip it upside down. So it's, it's very similar. Yeah. But I think in design, I, I just I think I talked about it the previous episode. I think it comes with a lot of pain and a lot of sadness because you have all these cool ideas and then people just poop on it. Yeah, but let's take it back to your original statement, which I think was pretty spot on, which is that craft, you know, is just actually a way of kind of art punching down on a visual history that preceded. Um, yeah, and specifically non-Western art history where the, there is no. The, the integration of life and art is, is is not as separate as in the West. And so maybe a, a cup in a religious ceremony is valued just as high as, as a figurative work. And that cup might have engravings that are very intricate and original and that have a spiritual aspect because they were part of a religious ceremony. Right. And we would call that decorative, but to them it's, it's sacred. Uh, so I, I think that value judgment of Oh, the master painting with a narrative, uh, figurative image is higher than the engravings on a on a chalice or a cup or a yeah, or plate. totem pole or whatever. Yeah, like what I think is beautiful though about that is that those craft examples are examples of collective um, abstraction. Like over many yeah. many generations and years, many people iterations iterated on yeah on a set of principles to arrive at an aesthetic uh, that is universal yeah, and, to a culture and then every so many years somebody's like hey let's do it different and then everybody replies to that i'm just saying it though it's a contradiction of this idea that has to be individual and so yeah there are no rules yeah well i know but it's an, it's interesting just to, just to explore that and then the fact of the matter is that it you know there's so much that it's been put in this decorative category is yeah such a western like bullshit yeah, statement. Uh, ultimately, well, like, it, it didn't I, I fit don't in think the it's salon. Bullshit. It, it's it's just that we've we the the Western art world is so dominant that we see it as the, that we assume in art school that you have to be able to defend your decisions. That's that's a given. That's a tradition in in our art school system that don't just do stuff. You also have to be able to talk about it and explain it. Mm. And why is that? Why? Because we have no cultural you, tradition. Yeah, that's our cultural tradition. And, and it comes, I think, there's all this idea of usefulness. And I think that seeps into being able to defend your work. It has something to do with usefulness. Yeah. And 
I, I think that it is, it is a certain way, like it will result in a certain type of art. And there's something to be said about critiques and talking. But my personality, I think talking really kills stuff. It's, it's the same like uh, you fall in love with someone and you want to have sex. And they're like, no, 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 let's not have sex. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I always cringe when I look at descriptions of, that I've written of my work that people have asked me for, you know, like stuff I've written in the past. Because ultimately, we've talked about this often, like, I really want the work to live on its own and it describes itself. I know that sounds kind of like a cop-out, but um, yeah. I like after I've made it, it doesn't belong to me anymore, right? Um, and, and then there's yeah. the danger if you go into the zone of, everything's possible, do whatever you want, Don't you don't have to defend anything, then you get to sort of NFT world where everything's like, whoa, cool graphics, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's and there's no uh, gatekeepers, so everything's cool, everything's awesome, and that's a bit... I, but I completely like, disagree You arrive at DeviantArt no or, or Behance, and like everything's fun, everything's great, and that's... There are totally gatekeepers, too. they're just different gatekeepers. And then the other yeah. thing is like, the visual language is not not codified like you said like those are cool graphics so there's like there are people that have certain skills that are you know demoing or practicing those skills they're not demoing that's derogatory of me to say but like they're they're establishing that new visual culture the same way like yeah. street art you know sometimes get categorized differently but there are plenty of street artists that have jumped into the contemporary realm um, you know, folks, and and there's street artists that were graffiti artists and that never wanted to go towards the gallery because it was seen as impure. And, yeah. and they're like, no, I I make stuff and it's supposed to break and disappear. I don't want it to last forever. Yeah, yeah, and, they're, and that's a that's like a cultural or a subcultural um, scene, right? And yeah, I, yeah, and it, it, like each scene has will at some point develop standards and and groups and ideas and and. Uh, mo movements and yeah well we're like because right now we're existing on a contextual plane that if we were you and I both street artists we'd be like making <laughs> the same arguments but we would be read differently right because we're yeah. coming at it from two guys who have shown in galleries and museums right and um, and, uh, and and we're also people who always I, I do think there's a lot of similarities between internet post-internet and graffiti and street art like that that it's a very similar trajectory of, of something that wasn't museum native. It wasn't built for the museum first. Mm -hmm. And later you, you optimize it for the museum and you try to find the way. Yeah. Um, and you know, Keith Haring had to find his way of, he started painting on these, these tarps, these big pieces of vinyl, you stretch across a truck, the back of a truck. Mm -hmm. And because that felt like it had a connection with the street, but he wouldn't just paint on a stretched canvas like a classic painting that didn't make sense. So he had to find a way of, of painting on a surface that is collectible, but also still feels kind of raw. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so Herring's an interesting but, example. Did, did he when he would sit down and do his works there? Was, was there any pre sketch or did he go freestyle no, the whole way? No, I mean, his work is all about energy and spontaneity. Yeah. I think he's like. Yeah. No, but it's a good example of um, what we're talking about, I think, in that regard. Yeah. But one thing I wanted to say is that uh, abstraction in painting came from a very long struggle of becoming a master painter and then letting go of skill. Mm -hmm. Like, that, you know, 
Picasso and all the other people. They, yeah, they, they, were they, all, they were all real painters, quote unquote. They, they were all um, trained to draw figurative, uh, draw live models very realistically. Mm-hmm. They would, you know. And then when you get to computer code, so actually painting op art and abstract art is really also quite hard. It takes a lot of skill to evenly paint and to paint tight lines and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then abstraction on the computer is so easy. Yeah. I always found that interesting. Like it's the most, like drawing a square in Photoshop, it doesn't take a lot of skill. Yeah, I just go to Illustrator, Image Trace. And yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but making a perfect circle on a large canvas is, you know, it takes years before you can do that. Mm-hmm. But drawing a circle in Illustrator, that yeah. that's it, That was my know, point from earlier one. though, which is like, does the like for example you could write a single line of code in processing yeah or javascript and, and have it generate yeah. a circle right yeah but but so the 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 idea is that abstraction in software is closer to raw cave drawings than it is to op art even though it it looks like op art mm-hmm. op art is actually really sophisticated and technical and like making a, a, a geometric still image on the, on the in Photoshop or Illustrator is really any child can do it. You, you can give a child an iPad with a vector drawing tool and, the, you know, that will come out. It's funny, though, that you say the child thing, right? Because that's always, you know, what people would say about even an imperfect abstract painting, right? Like um, a Pollock or something like my five. Any child do can that. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, so you know, so... Is but it, also the child is... is uh, or like for, I, Everybody yeah. always admires the, the freedom in children's drawings. So there is a state of mm-hmm. acceptance of the material. It's not pretending to be photorealistic. It's not pretending to be impressive technically. It's just, I'm alive and I want to show you I'm alive. Yeah. Very, yeah. yeah, I always think also too of like how scale eventually played into abstraction. You know, like I think of Frankenthaler who invented color field painting... And how she poured the paint onto the ground, and that and, and it killed her. That, yeah, well, because like, of the fumes. I mean, so yeah. apparently that's yeah. also how um, you know, like uh, what's his face that used to have the TV show um, with the afro, Bob Ross. Bob Ross died or something as well yeah. from the chemicals. But um, yeah, we'll die from the screen radiation. But yeah, yeah, I'm already dying. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, that getting to that scale and then in that case, like saying, like, actually, once the paint starts to, like, move around the floor, like, I can I only have so much control over it, you know? Yeah. Um, I have to let it kind of do its thing. Um, that is, like, kind of algorithmic. It's just an analog algorithm. Yeah. It's letting go of the, 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 letting the material make decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all this being said, to me, the, the, the core of... of why I'm interested in abstraction is this it, it it comes from a place of joy for sure and it but it also comes from a place of um i I've been having a hard time actually sketching like because I had said goodbye to social media sort of I really minimized it but because of nft there's discord and Twitter and yeah, all this yeah. stuff and it's exciting there's a lot going on and you're following it yeah, yeah. and it's really hard to find the silence so on the one end abstraction is a place of joy and but it's also a place of discipline where it's what i mean is i think uh, traditionally 
even you saw in the Seinfeld episodes, he has a big stereo and big speakers in his apartment mm-hmm. and, and racks of CDs. Uh, I think, I remember my parents listening to music quite often. And over the years, the music listening has gone down and the podcasts and the CNN and the news has gone up. Yeah. So everything's content. Nothing is music. Yeah. And Spotify is shifting to podcasts. We're talking right now. And everything becomes entertaining and it's become harder and harder to just, you know what, I'm going to sit in a chair and listen to Beethoven or listen to anything that's not current events. So we're all just jacked into current events all the time. And the moment you turn it off, you're like, wait a minute, something's happening and I'm missing it. Well, you know, what's funny. Like anytime I sit down to be creative, like I was just, just before this podcast, I was writing a proposal for something. Though you might not think of that writing a proposal as creative for me, it is. But um, well, it does require focus. That, that's well, the, what I'm the first about. thing I yeah. do is I play. I put on my headphones and I play music. Like I cannot think creatively without music. Yeah. Um, I need that to be completely surrounded by music to get into a state of flow. Um, yeah, that's but not then, true for everyone. Then, yeah, so that's a way of using music with a purpose other than listening to music. Mm-hmm. And I agree, it's it's easier to write with instrumental music than music with lyrics. Um, think, and it yeah. shuts out the world a little bit. And, and, and I, I understand you're all that. A, you're scratching at a really good point, though. Like, yeah, I know I'm interrupting you here, but like... No, no, go ahead. I've recently like been thinking without actually... This is the first time I'll say it out loud, that as I've gotten older, a lot of my conversation with my partner, with my family, involves solving problems. Like, dad should do this, or... Mom needs to do that, or I'm worried about, you know, my sister. Yeah. And, but that's not how we grew up. <laughs> like, no, but that's also like, it, it, that's part of being a human is solving problems. Yeah. But part of being a human is also the idea of play. Like, if you look at animals, they're not always uh, chewing grass. Sometimes they do silly stuff, and that's part of being alive. That's, that's exactly my point. And I mean, silly in the best way. That's exactly my point. Like, you know, if you if you could get everyone, you know, to agree to play baseball together or whatever or something, you you know, would all of those kind of worries melt away and you're in that moment, right? I think that's play is really what we're talking about. I, I know yeah, we, yeah. we've brought this up a few times. Kristen always reminds me the one thing that's universal to both humans and animals that allows them to actually survive is their ability to play because it's the curiosity to pursue the unknown, um, not with any intention. <laughs> That's why people get pets also, because everything at work and, and family, everything's like, did you yeah. do your homework? Yeah. Uh, did you do the dishes? Did you do this? Did you do that? And then you can just look at the dog or the cat and and just throw a ball of yarn around and, be reminded. and have fun. Yeah, and, and I think I think we talked about this before, but our brain always tends to want to, find a place of hierarchy and then say, what's the important task right now? How can I optimize my day? How can I be more useful? Mm. And it's very hard to have an argument for the opposite because anything that gets measured, you feel good mm-hmm. about. Like, oh, I, I burnt more calories. I I finished a few spreadsheets. I answered more emails, etc. And then you're like, oh, how long did you actually do nothing today? Well, the proposal I was writing just before this podcast was to bring back my like penis painting software. <laughs> now but we're talking. Honestly, it's the most free, like, f- like freedom creating, like, joyful <laughs> software for anyone that I've ever 
put it on immediately <laughs> like it's like a trance it does summarize <laughs> like it, it it you know it seems silly it, I, I always think that silly comes from a deep place and it seems silly but at the same time everything you've talked about about gender and the ridiculousness of a hierarchy of gender and the power play that's all in there yeah and and it seems like a silly about. silly ar penis but at the same time it addresses <laughs> all the topics that in a way that's very palpable and tangible and it touches people instead of instead of preaching yeah no but i think i think maybe that's like, where yeah it is it is ridiculous I, I think yeah. you know you and i are both in this tension between like you said the figurative and the abstract and like trying to find that place but i'm i'm trying to create the constraints for everyone to feel the way that we get to feel that's my point of view right and i think you're doing the same thing in terms of like some of your works um i think of when I see them, they're very immersive in that I, even if I, you know, sometimes it's like literally a web page that you've abstracted, but I forget about the, the meaning of the web page, right? And I start to look at the web page for its formal parameters, right? When you've abstracted it in a way that kind of calls attention to the beauty of the world around me, right? Yeah. Um, and I think well, that also that the, is poet- the, the poetic. A big part of the, the, the abstraction of web pages the thing that interests me is that exactly what you talked about, that the designers are taught not to make personal decisions, but to make efficiency decisions. Yeah. And we're like, we have to hit our targets. So let's move the feed over here. Let's put the comments down there and let's do some A-B testing. Oh, let's make the banner a little bigger. Oh, if it's too big, we don't retain the client. So let's make it a little smaller. Oh, it's too small. They're not clicking. And so there's this constant verbal... Uh, yeah war going on in decisions and with data points and to me it's interesting to use that trajectory of thought as a path of abstraction instead of a Rothko sort of thing of like this is the depth of my soul and it's all from me yeah and so that, that it's almost like they're abstractions of compromise well I love um Jan Robert Ligti's um you know his uh, buttons like the embossed ones. yeah, he, yeah so yeah, it's yeah. just a drawing for our listeners and on the you know, it's an L that's like it's a, it's a its software side. trope. Yeah. It, 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 the software trope of making something three dimensional by having a highlight on the left and on the top, and yeah. a, and a shadow on the bottom and on the right. So just two lines on a piece of yeah. brown paper. I, I think that I, I should really buy the work because I think it's like so. It summarizes yeah, it so much. Of, well, uh, that, that that goes back to the cave drawing and the and the yeah. the drawing uh, the drawing classes we were talking about the the masterful. Uh, realistic painters that then turn to abstraction and one of the things you do when you do live drawing is you have a paper that's that's like a medium tone so it's something brown mm -hmm. and you have one crayon that's a piece of charcoal that's dark and you have a, a highlighter also mm -hmm. and that's what he was using in the drawing and that's what he recognized in software that those same truths of a two-dimensional plane and you want to suggest a three-dimensional world and all you need is a medium tone and a highlight and yeah. a shade and maybe that's the ultimate good point like we kind of we assume this continuous progress right when in fact we're probably in a circular relationship yeah. with the world well I, I always think humans have a certain emotional capacity so every generation falls in love and for every generation it's a very intense feeling you fall in love you find your life partner or, mm -hmm. and no matter what happens, like technology changes stuff, but falling in love for everyone, it's a very profound experience. Um, so 
there was falling in love before words, and then there was falling in love with epic tales, and then there was mm. falling in love uh, with with the uh, rock and roll, and now there's falling in love through Tinder, and it, you know, yeah. same thing with death, I guess. Yeah, although I, I'm glad I never had to do the Tinder thing. That seems horrible, but I feel bad for anyone that. I know. I've actually that. never used a dating app. I felt. I know, but that really sort of weird. Weird QVC, like, uh, that looks cool. No, no. <laughs> We're the last of uh, that generation of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. I, yeah. I think, though, I, the, to your point, everyone is probably okay. Mind you, this week's Facebook news, we didn't, we shouldn't get into it, but. Um, That's for another episode. It is yeah. for another episode. But we, we just because well, we, we hinted at it, that, that there's this, this assault of, of FOMO and anger and. But I think I would argue it's the abstraction of human identity that's that that, that, that we're really in uh, involved in now because we're reproducing like identity like a factory. Yeah. Like on a well, I, I think I think what they are doing is uh, the same way the food industry has extracted sugar and salt and then they can add it at will. Like mm-hmm. traditionally before technology, like an apple is an apple and a, a plum is a plum. You can't do anything about it. Yeah. But when you make candy, they're like you just crank up the volume. How sweet do you want it? Yeah. And so that's similar to to fast food where it's just like it's engineered. And so these are engineered experiences where your feed is just like, oh, how angry do we want them? Yeah, I mean, ultimately Richard Serra, you know, who's a great abstract sculptor, created a, an incredibly abstract video that's actually extremely didactic <laughs> uh, called Television Delivers People. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's basically, go watch that it's video. A it's kind of an YouTube. anomaly in his, his body of work. It's strange. Totally, yeah. total anomaly. But obviously he was compelled enough. I mean, maybe he saw in the shipyards, what he saw in the shipyards, he saw on television as well. But he would probably, if you asked him to describe Instagram, you know, you could create that same piece for for Facebook or Instagram today. Yeah, I think a lot of art and, and writing was made about television in the 80s and, and people like, oh, mind control. And it wasn't even close to the power of the algorithms, how they could control your but mind. But I often reference that in my writing because it was the last point at which, you know, ordinary people could understand what the hell was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They still were like, oh, I'm being manipulated. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even my mom, like she's she's getting more and more radicalized left wing, like further and further. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it takes up like 10 hours of her day, but it's fine. It's It's entertainment. But I'm telling her, it's like, you know people are making money off of this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 but there's an independent media. They're on YouTube. It's like, yeah, but people are making money off of you watching it from the pre-roll ads. And she just had no idea. She just had this idea of like, these are independent news sources yeah. and they're not mainstream media, therefore they're more real. And yeah, I mean, I think yeah. the, the suggestion we can make is like, hey, you know, take that 10 hours, go work on something, donate the money to the causes that you care about. Yeah. Like, let people go to work, you know? That, that is a little interesting bridge that I just want to highlight that as much as I think art should be useless, then the NFT thing happened and mm. there's a lot of abstract work, all kinds of work, and then NFT turns out to be this this great charity vehicle. Like, yeah. Amazing. And and so it, it, it is, what I'm trying to say is that abstraction of people watch YouTube and they're not... They're not even aware that they're making Mark Zuckerberg wealthy or whoever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, NFT comes along and it's like, oh, 
that money that normally goes to Zuckerberg, yeah, it comes to the artist. You could send it to other places. Yeah. 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 And then the artist can also share that, which I'm, I'm happy to see artists doing. I think we didn't, we, we spent an hour talking about abstraction without referring to your favorite abstract art NFT platform, Artblocks. Yeah. <laughs> Not that no, it's it, 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 Artblocks. Yeah, no, but it is, uh, when we talk about art being pure play and, and useless, I also address the, the fact that art started, abstract painting started with Malevich and it was all radical and unsellable. And before you know it, so many people love it and it becomes a, a commodity and it mm-hmm. is a huge industry. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, just one point, is that Mondrian and other artists were talking about this uh, universal language. So it's outside of any written language. So anyone around the world can have this pure sensorial experience. The same way maybe like a really good melody will resonate across different cultures. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, in the end, paintings or any medium always have a context and they always have an implied culture around it. So when you look at a Mondrian, you're like, oh, this is an important painting. It's in an important room in an important building and there's an academic weight behind it. There's never an an innocent viewing Mm. where... um, So maybe that goes back to decorative arts or things being part of daily life. It's just anything that's in the museum and the canon has such a... Mm. There's such a power structure around it that it's not an innocent viewing of like, yeah, I love this. Yeah. It's fun. It's yeah. But just a reminder that power is often <clears throat> money, right? It's often capital. And yeah. like these art institutions, you know, there's a lot of money that went in just into the buildings, you know, remember destination architecture. Yeah. And the zip codes are expensive. Just to yeah. uphold the authority, right? That's all money that's invested to uphold authority. Well, it, yeah. And it, it's funny because the, the museum is, is basically a home without utility so you take out all the furniture you take out the the bathtub the kitchen and everything goes away and all you do is stare at stuff mm-hmm. but then all of home. a sudden that museum uh, raises the price of a neighborhood so it's actually a huge utility and so you you find out there is no freedom and everything is interdependent and yeah i just don't think it's very much you know it's very different than how the american dollar is um you know, supported. These are institutions that uphold the value of assets. And and sometimes those are cultural assets because not everything is, you know, necessarily uh, finance. There are different types of capital. There's social capital. There's political capital, as we've been talking about. And all of those forms of power, though, need to be upheld. And so we invest our time, we invest our money, we invest our symbols. And I mean, if we're going to wrap this up in a good point, it would be... um, I think if if there is a, some kind of universal language, like you mentioned, love, and that is and that can be made visual, the same way the you know early uh, abstract expressionists were trying to find a path, to, visual pathway back to music, that would be essentially available to everyone, regardless of um, power, right? And yeah. ultimately, it's a democratizing force in that regard, and I therefore and, I have and, to. And, yeah, I have to resign. It is it does have value. <laughs> but, well, and and, yeah. and to me that, um, I think if you make art, you have to really deeply understand that the you your curiosity is enough reason for something to exist. It, nothing else has, you know. Yeah, that's, 
that's a deep, a deep. Uh, that's my driving factor. I've I've noticed a lot of people in in crypto NFT world started making money really quickly and then feel a lot of guilt. Mm. And I'm like, take the money. Like the whole thing might be gone next year, but you can be a full time artist for a while and just use that. It that's amazing and run with it. Don't feel guilty. Actually, you have a responsibility to now be free. Well, I have on the flip side, know a lot of people who made NFTs, spent money making them and never sold them, you know? Um, yeah, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying like an <laughs> no, NFT I that's know, unsold is just as valuable as one that sells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. But I, I think I just come across it so much that I, I think on the one side, there's a lot of people who were excluded from the art dialogue and that maybe now are mm-hmm. more accepted and that's great. And they are, I think, they don't have guilt because they didn't have access before. And so there's an embrace of, but even, I just hope that everybody gets to be a child. I think that's basically what I'm saying. Yeah. But money doesn't solve anything. <laughs> I mean, it does. No, no. Only certain I, maybe up until a certain yeah. point. I mean, certainly yeah. like poverty, we can solve some of that with money. But if money didn't exist, ah, God, this is a totally different podcast. Let's not go down that totally road. Totally different podcast. I think we wrapped it up. This is a good, yeah. good place to end. And, and we have a field recording this yeah. week. We have... Uh, County Road from Jay Gilligan and Cicadas. Now, the Cicadas it, this year, this was the big North, year. This is the brood year. Northwest Ohio, August 2021. Cicadas. In, I haven't listened yeah. to this yet, so I'm going to listen right now. Mm, cicadas. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jay Gilligan and Alessandro Ferraro. And uh, what is it like? Seventeen years that we last heard these cicadas. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Thanks, See you cicadas. all next week. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.